Hi there, I'm Jason Shulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. My guest today on the podcast is Seamus O'Hanlon. He's an associate professor at Monash University. He's here to talk about his new book, City Life, The New Urban Australia. It's published by New South Publishing in 2018. Seamus, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. So Seamus, how did you get interested in urban history and in Australian cities? Um... Urban history is one of those ones I look back at my life and think, hey, I was probably always an urban historian. I very much like walking, and so I, I tend to walk a lot, and as I walk, I like to look around. And over the years, doing bits, lots of travelling around the place, that sort of came, it dawned on me once upon a time that actually, as you walk around and look at the city, you actually understand changing stories. And as I got more and more into history, I began to recognise that the things I was interested in was the way cities change and the way the changes in the physical and social and cultural aspects of the city reflect broader changes in society. So most of my work I've done over, I've been working as an urban historian now for about 30 years, most of it has been about how the physical city changes as as the people within it and the the technologies they use, etc., change. So, and um, I've lived in Melbourne now for most of that time, so most of my work looks at Melbourne and the changes that have occurred in Melbourne, but I, I like to travel, and so uh, obviously uh, the nearest place I travel to is Adelaide where I grew up, and also Sydney where I spend a fair bit of time, but I like to travel internationally as well, and one of the things I've really wanted to do with my work in, in on the Australian city is to look at how Australian cities are international and always have been. Australia has always been part of an international trading system. And so some of the big changes we see in the world trading system in technology, the world economy, etc., play out very quickly in Australian cities after they hit in other places. So this latest book, The City Life of New Urban Australia, is about how globalisation, especially free market neoliberal globalisation, has affected the cities in Australia in the same way as affected cities across the rest of the world. Um, Go ahead. Go on. When we think about... Well, one, of the things that, ahead, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I've been working on over the last uh, 10 years or so is deindustrialization, And so as I became interested in deindustrialization, especially a lot of work that's been done in the United States on deindustrialization. It struck me that a lot of the literature around deindustrialization sort of kind of ends when the factories close, whereas in some of the bigger cities, in, in the bigger world cities, and indeed in cities bigger, big, that are big enough to cope in Australia, like Sydney and Melbourne, when the factories closed, there was a, a period of real, real despair. There was, there was a real problem. There was no question about that, but they were big enough to come back. So, so what I've wanted to do in my work around deindustrialization is to talk also talk about the post-industrial city, the city that's emerged out of the, the period of deindustrialization and despair in the 1970s, but also then to show how that change affects different people at different, in, at, in different ways. So tell us a little bit about this post-industrial city. You know, there is, you say, uh, some kind of small-scale manufacturing, you know, artisanal things, uh, but a lot of, you know, the kind of contemporary urban economy is service-oriented. So tell us a little bit about the, the post-industrial city in Australia. Um, yeah, you, you're right. There is there's a little bit of artisanal manufacturing still going on. There is still some manufacturing occurs in some of the larger 
uh, areas on, on the outskirts of the city. But a lot of my work looks at the inner city and about how the areas around the old docks and the factories, most of the factories were built in the 1920s and 1930s, especially in Sydney and Melbourne. And again, interestingly, the same processes were occurring around the world and they hit the Australian city quite quickly. And so what I look at is how then in the 1970s, especially especially in the first instance when um, Asia starts to industrialise in Japan and, and, and South Korea and uh, Singapore and places like that, many of the first industries to, to be affected were in clothing, footwear, textiles, etc., and they tended to be in rather large, multi-storey brick factories near the centres of the city, again, mostly in Sydney and Melbourne. And they um, closed very rapidly. And most of them closed. There was changes in tariff laws, etc., in the 1970s and 1980s, and then, then again in the 1990s. But what you were also beginning to see in the big cities at that time was gentrification. So wealthier people academics, artists, architects, etc., were beginning to move into the inner city. And in doing so, they were also bringing with them some of their tastes and some of their desires for food, for restaurants, for bars, for clubs, music, libraries, bookshops, all that sort of stuff. And so what, what you get is these twin forces beginning to affect who lives in the inner city, what they do in the inner city. And, and it starts to um, become a really important part of, part of the economy. So the service industries that emerge, around, as I say, around food, around restaurants, around bars, around music, uh, but also um, at, at a larger scale, you, you begin to get the emergence of global financial industry. And so the centres of cities are rebuilt um, with multi-storey towers, and they have to be wired up to fit into the global economy. But as more and more people want to move into the inner city, uh, there's simply not enough residences for them. You can only gentrify uh, what's there. But the big move then that starts to appear in the 1980s, and especially in the 1990s in Australia, is the conversion of old factories and old warehouses into residential apartments. And then also uh, uh, alongside that, you begin to see um, spaces, what we call redundant economic spaces, so such as Docklands, uh, again, some of these factory zones, uh, start to be reinvented as sites of residence. So if you come to Australian cities, big cities in Australia, Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and, and Perth and Adelaide and others too, in the same way as you do when you go to London or New York or Chicago or any other city, you begin to see these whole swathes of areas with these multi-storey apartment buildings being put up. So if you take yourself down to downtown Melbourne today in 2018 or uh, downtown Sydney, there's just cranes everywhere building multi-storey apartment buildings. The other big change we're seeing around that time, and, and I start the book telling this story, is the emergence of China. So, as I said before, in the first wave of industrialisation in Asia, it's Singapore, it's Hong Kong, it's Taiwan, places like that. But as China uh, begins to open up, and quite literally today, on the uh, 17th of December, it's the 40th anniversary of the, the speech where Deng Xiaoping gives to say we're going to open up China. Uh, as China's got rich over that time and as literally hundreds of millions of people have moved off into the cities and uh, began to get rich, there's been this massive amount of foreign investment, this massive amount of money being generated and Chinese people are looking to invest overseas, businesses, individuals, etc. 
And so many of the places where they want to invest is in residential apartment buildings in major Western cities. So you're seeing this huge impact in uh, in New York, in London, uh, Vancouver, especially Toronto. Uh, you're seeing it in Los Angeles. But again, huge amounts of uh, Chinese uh, investment into places like Melbourne, Sydney, and often into residential. You say that by 2030, the quote-unquote typical Australian will um, as likely be a young female professional of Asian background living in a high-rise apartment in Sydney as the laconic Bushman uh, of years past. What is what does this kind of new post-industrial urban outlook mean for Australia and how it views itself? Um, you know, we have the sense that the real Australia is sort of out there in the outback, in the bush, um, but in fact, most Australians are living in these large multicultural cities. And also, it's one of the great sort of myths of Australian society, and it's a myth of many, many other societies, that the real Australian, the real American, the real German, whatever, lives in the countryside or lives in a small village. In Australia's case, we, we've been urban since somewhere in the 1840s, and majority urban. Australia was really probably the first completely urbanised society um, in the late 19th century. But, you know, the, uh, the, the story is Australia's urbanised, but it's actually probably the most suburbanised country in the world as well. And so we have this idea that there's, you know, as I say, the, the real Australians, this laconic Bushman or an Anzac soldier, etc. In reality, for a long time, the real Australian has been a suburbanite, someone who lives in a, 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 a suburb of one of the major cities. But that's changing very rapidly. There's the majority still live in suburbs, but more and more of us are living in higher density, high-rise apartments. There's always been this question as well about whether the, the real Australian is a man. In fact, he's probably a woman, or she's probably a woman. And when you talk about it, uh, more and more of us are living in these multicultural cities, that's true. But one of the other themes of the book that I try to bring out is that as Australia changes, as Australia globalises, Again, like other nations in the world, the cities are becoming very, very different to the rest of the country. And in our case, Sydney and Melbourne, Sydney especially so, are becoming very, very different to the rest of the country. So one of the sections on the book is about immigration and about settlement of immigrants. And if you go through the figures, you'll see that something, you know, somewhere between about 45 to 50% of all the people who are born in China who live in Australia live in Sydney. About another 30% live in Melbourne. Same figures, if you look at the Vietnamese who came here mostly as refugees and their children now, their majority, 75% are either in Melbourne or Sydney. The Indians who are moving here in a big way now are saying about 40% Melbourne, about 30% Sydney. So what you're seeing is uh, Australian cities are very, very different ethnically and culturally to the, their hinterlands, so the states. But they're also, Sydney and Melbourne are emerging as very, very different places to Brisbane and Adelaide and, and Perth as well. What that means for the future of the country, I, I don't know. Um, as I was working on this sort of stuff uh, over the last few years, the, uh, there was a lot of discussion about the future of the world is urban. It is. The majority of us now live in cities. No, that, they'll keep going. But what we are seeing in the rise of populism with the election of various politicians around the world who talk about elites, talk about um, swamps and all that sort of stuff we all know who we're talking about here, there's a very strong sense that there's a backlash emerging against the cities and especially about how, the, how ethnically different the cities are from the rest of the countries. 
we're seeing that to a certain extent in Melbourne, in Australia, and there is some resentment of Melbourne and Sydney. But um, given population here, that, that's not as uh, uh, profound as it is in other places, simply because Melbourne and Sydney are so big. Between them, they count for about 40% of the population of the whole country. So by definition, they're not minority places, as, say, New York is in, in the United States. You know, there's, there's, there, there's not dozens and dozens of different places that people can stay or settle in. So Melbourne and Sydney are still really important demographically and democratically. But I think there is probably a place for uh, some politician who wanted to on the make to start to present themselves as, as in opposition to what's going on in, in the big cities. Seamus, last question before I let you go. The end of the book is really interesting. You, you strike a bit of a more cautious note, I think. You say uh, you fear that future generations will look back and ask why did Australia waste these urban opportunities. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I didn't want to finish off the book on a pessimistic note, but uh, Australian cities, Sydney and Melbourne, especially, are extraordinarily expensive, like really, really expensive places to live. And the major reason why they're so expensive is because house prices are, are so high. So Sydney is one of the most expensive cities in the world to live, uh, to buy property. Melbourne's very high as well. And it seems to me what we've done over the last, especially the last 15 years in the, in the 2000s, is we spent an awful lot of time ramping up real estate prices, whereas it would have made much more sense to spend a lot of more time ramping up the sorts of industries that are going to be very important in the 21st century. Education is one of those. We, we have done well uh, in attracting international students to Australian cities, but research and development, uh, lots of the new industries around environmentalism and uh, creating a cleaner environment, which again is a research-intensive sort of industries. We haven't spent money on that. We've had this possibly once-in-a-lifetime mining boom, uh, which has been used for various purposes. China doesn't get rich twice, it gets rich once. And um, again, the opportunities that could have been made for Australia's to really embed itself into the Asia-Pacific region and to become a place where the service industries, the things we're very good at, have been used to create multi-generational investment and economic opportunities, have, I think, instead been wasted on property speculation. And those of us who are historians always say, well, all, all property bubbles end in a burst. Um, I, for one, don't want that to happen because I think it would be a terrible thing. I think it would be a terrible intergenerational problem. But I really do think we need to do something. We need to be, be a bit more smarter about how we use these once-in-a-generation or once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to create a better future for ourselves. And, as I say, selling property to each other is not a good way of doing it. Seamus Owen, thank you so much for being on the show today. That's Seamus O'Hanlon. He's an associate professor at Monash University. The new book is City Life, The New Urban Australia. It's published by New South Publishing in 2018. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.